This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Tobal Jagera people and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 109 for Friday 8th of November 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by different guest hosts to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's about to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is Dale Kelleher from, from Queensland, from Twitter, uh, you're, you're manager of Children by Choice, you're associated with the Greens. How, how should people be introduced to you? Welcome, welcome, Dale. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I guess all of those things are true, plus many more. I'm on maternity leave at the moment, but I am the manager of Children by Choice. And I'm pretty active in the Greens. I have a few roles in Queensland and also nationally. And my partner is the first elected Greens MP into Queensland State Parliament, which was pretty exciting. That happened in 2017. So my life is pretty green. I can't say that I'm technically a member of the Greens at the moment, but I, I suspect that we're all on the side of wanting more progressive policy and looking at the ALP, realising... Ain't gonna come from them and going. Okay, what are what are our options for getting getting towards that kind of policy change? But you know, change from within, Jeremy. That's what um, that's what happens in Labor, right? Oh, look, we see callous people who you know, the, the, you know the, the Peter Garretts, the what the Cheryl Kernos, the who are the people who sort of join the join the ALP? Gail Kearney. Yes, yeah. They get their lefties. Yeah. They run them against the Greens. Uh, and then if they do get in, uh, they can be subsumed by the yeah. help and do stand for nothing. Yeah, which is exactly what happened with Jed. I think it was Jed Kenny um, in the seat of Batman in Melbourne, and she went against Alec Batal, who was a well-known Greens candidate, but she had a really strong refugee stance. She, you know, was really, um, had advocated for years on asylum seeker policy um, outside did. of that. Yeah, Jed. Um, and then now she's, um, you know... Now she's an MP, she unfortunately can't sort of stand up for the things that she believes in. But let's hope she is working working for change from within. You, you, you just never know. You never know. Well, because you never see any results of it. So there's no That's reason true. to believe that, it's, that it happens. And, like, we'll talk about the review in a sec, um, well, about halfway through. We've got an excellent stuck in my call from Tom Ballard, who was on last week, having a, having a good old rant about, about Labor's inability to take seriously its job. If it wants to be a progressive party... You know, there are certain things that you need to be doing, like advocating for progressive policy and how Labor won't do that. But also in terms of the refugee stuff, for example, like how how ti- how limited and how boxed in Labor have made themselves. So, for example, it doesn't really matter what Jed Kearney argues inside Labor. As long as Albo is their leader, they can't do anything because Albo's out there with on, on video footage of him talking to Sherry Markson saying the Liberals were right. The government's policies have... Uh, stopped the boats, uh, that they're, they're not coming. We thought that the argument that it was, there were pull factors as well as push factors uh, were, was wrong. Uh, and indeed, uh, we, we made an error uh, when we did that. 
there's this audio. So if he were ever to turn around and actually stand up for something compassionate and humane and you know, meeting our international obligations and just being decent human beings, um, he would be torn to shreds based on all of the, based on the box that he made for himself. Yeah. So there's nothing really that they can do from within either Albanese can do from within that box or even or Jed can do within the box that is the Labor Party. Yeah. And I think um, it's a bit of a shame because what it actually requires is politicians to and, and political parties sometimes to actually come out and say, hey, we got it wrong. And we actually, you know, our policy position on X, Y, Z, whether that be on refugees, on same-sex marriage, on climate change, etc., um, you know, to actually have the balls to come out and say we got this wrong and we are changing our view um, because I guess that's not, you know, politically savvy, so no one's willing to do it. They kind of step around it without ever doing it, which means that they have a hard time in changing their policy position because it would then result in all of these you know, previous things um, coming up saying they've actually said this in the past and they've, they've voted in this way. And I guess we're never going to get progressive politics happening if political parties aren't willing to admit that maybe at one stage their policy position wasn't the right one and that they're willing to change. I can see the party doing it. It is possible for a party to move, but I can't see them doing it with the same people at the top. Like, I think we're almost at the point now. And look, let's get straight. Let's talk about the climate stuff first then, because we've got some examples here of of Richard Miles, the front bencher. Like, just here's summarising exactly why that entire LP front bench is is a problem at this point. Um, because we've got Miles doing the same thing that, that Albo did with refugees, this time to protesters mm. on climate. So we had the story, I think you could probably tell us about this, the story that came out, what, it was 11,000 climate scientists warning of untold suffering unless there were drastic changes. Yes, I mean, that was a, a movement that happened globally that, um, you know, got some pretty big names in science to, to sign on and say, climate change is real um, and here's the actions that need to be done immediately. Um, this is evidence-based, this is science-based um, and, you know, we need we need countries, we need political parties, we need people to be taking real action on this. And, you know, we had specific demands, I guess, coming out of that as well, transitioning to renewable energy, reducing emissions, moving towards plant-based diets, those sorts of things that we know will make an impact. And basically, you know, we had some Australian scientists sign on to that, really asking for some sort of action from government. Um, And, you know, a lot of the times people are saying, we don't want to listen to the the ferals, um, to use some other people's language. We don't want to listen to those people um, who are protesting and disrupting work and gluing themselves to the road and whatever. We don't want to listen to those because they don't know what they're talking about and they're just a bunch of hippies. And yet... We've got 11,000 scientists who are saying it is a climate emergency, something needs to be done and action needs to be taken and it's still not being listened to. So I kind of like, what do we do? Which is, I guess, where it comes to why the disruptive protesting happens because it feels like it doesn't matter what happens or who says it, nobody's listening. So people are getting to their last resort and they're starting to get to the point where they feel that disruptive protests are the only way to make any change and people who are sitting on your lap for example or often sitting in my lap while recording are probably kind of it's it's hard not to feel that we've kind of they're kind of relying on us to do it yeah yeah absolutely um i've got my little four and a half month old 
daughter Juniper sitting on my lap while I do this because that's what you know you do when you're a parent you juggle all of the things including podcasting and parenting at the same time but yeah I mean I think that you certainly do go wow like what sort of future are we creating for these people I feel so guilty every time we like we hear this stuff when we're we're driving in the car and the three of them are in the back you're like what have I done to you I'm so sorry yeah what What is the world doing? What, you know, why don't people care? And it it just baffles me that there are people who have children and grandchildren who are in power who don't have that same drive to sort of go, I want to, I want a better future for you. Um, I want to create the best world possible for you to live in well after I'm gone and for your children and your children's children to live in. Um, But instead, I think we've got people in power who are too worried about whether or not they can stay in power and win the next election, that there's no forward thinking, there's no forward planning, there's only, you know, key messaging and, and grabs that they can give on doorsteps on, you know, Sky News or other equally, you know, problematic and awful programs. They're not really thinking about the people that they should be governing for. Well, there, there is the footage we had of Scummo uh, a couple of episodes back where he was saying, you know, they don't need to do anything about climate change he's, he's, because uh, everything's going to be fine for the next generation. And he's perfectly comfortable with uh, what's going to be happening for his daughters and they seem to be fine with it. And it's like, well, look, <laughs> okay, I suspect that, that when it all goes to shit, um, having had a dad who was a prime minister uh, and was able to sort of run this grift for as long as possible, probably is advantageous for them as individuals within that family. But as people... <laughs> well, exactly, Jennifer. As, as for you and for the rest of us, less so. Um, it, it does feel... Like, it feels like it's entirely consistent with that general mindset, though. Like, you've got the, the corporate mindset of being like, just grab what you can as fast as you can. Just, like, gouge it. Don't, don't think about tomorrow. Like, that is very much the... That is the corporate mindset, um, and it matches the sort of politicians that they elect, who very much like we're in it for what we can get today, and and we'll deal with you know <laughs> the the problems that come from that are a problem for for another day. They're not very mm. good planners, is my point. No, and I think it's interesting because we always hear about millennials and how selfish millennials are and only thinking about themselves. And then I look at the people that we've got that are you know in politics who are rarely millennials because you know we definitely don't have enough young people represented in parliament and you look at the fact that you know the way that we do politics is certainly um for the here and now and not for the the future and yet it's it's millennials who get such a bad rap um whereas i think that you know when you look at the climate school strikes when you've got young people who are going you literally need to be striking from school so that you will listen to us because we have no power in government and and yet they're the selfish people that you know need to oh i i love i love the attack on and let's look let's start playing some of the audio but i, I love this classic attack and i remember this being run by um from my uni days i remember amanda vanstone saying this about when protesters were uni students were protesting against hex rises and she was calling them pigs with their snouts in the trough and saying that they were mm. selfish except that the students who were protesting we're not doing it out of self-interest because it didn't affect them. It was grandfather. Yeah. They were fine. These are people advocating for other people. And that's such a, a foreign, Concept. bizarre mindset for conservatives that they have to come up with explanation, virtue signaling. They must be trying to encode them, getting themselves some privilege by saying that they're good people and they do good stuff. Like it's like they're in the good place and they're not mm. doing it for the right motivations. If they're doing good stuff, there must be a bad motivation there somewhere. There certainly would be if we conservatives were doing it. Like, yeah. It's this idea that, that yeah, and we'll get Scummo calling protesters indulgent um, 
in just a sec. It did occur to me too, like when Juniper, when we were saying that, I think Juniper was trying to say, okay, boomer. And it feels like, <laughs> that, I, I don't know if all the boomers who are like, well, not us. Some of us boomers are, are progressive people who, uh, you know, who, who aren't wealthy and who've been struggling. There's, you know, the largest number of homeless people now, the, the largest increases is um, women over 50 sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's like basically doing hashtag not all men. It's basically a man going, when you complain about male violence or something or, or, or the patriarchy being, well, I didn't do it. Well, okay, good. If, you want to, if you're not, then great. It doesn't apply to you. I think the boomers thing is now such, it's basically a reference to a mindset that is typified by those people yes that you can have the boomer mindset of you know in dif- as defined in this context of being, being greedy and selfish and indifferent to the the future and so forth without even being in the baby boomer generation like mm. it's that that some of the, these i mean john john howard is not is john would john howard count as a boomer i mean there's still like there's, there's a the boomer generation I'd have to do my maths, but um, <laughs> I, I think that you can be older than the boomer generation or younger than the boomer generation and still be like the in that spot. And so, look, if you're a if somebody listening to this is a progressive boom, pers- baby boomer, please don't be. Please just sort of let the when they do the okay boomer not thing, all boomers. Yeah, like we get we get that's not a universal thing, but most of the problems are from that cohort the largest proportion of the problem is in that cohort and fundamentally the problem the electoral problem that we've had and seen here with scamo but it's seen in the u.s with trump and in the uk with mm. with johnson and brexit the the biggest cohort that is frustrating any action on climate change and also voting for pretty re- re- repugnant right-wing policies is that generation and it's outnumbering the rest of us because there's a reason why they're the boomer generation because there was a baby boom. That is a very large older generation demographic cohort yeah. that fits that generation. It's, yes, there are exceptions on either side of it, but part of the problem is that there's this very numerically large group, which is why the, the government's, you know, did you see where there were some references to pensions and having to deal with something or something? Some, there was some reference where pensioners were, be, where the pension was being referred to as welfare and pensioners being outraged at the idea, yeah. the old age pensioners being outraged at the idea that theirs was welfare. No, welfare is the thing we demonise for the, for the young people, even though whenever they do that, they use the whole number for all welfare, mm. like all social security, and the largest proportion, like um, new studies, like ten percent or something. It's one of the smaller. Pers- oh, it's tiny. Yeah, exactly. And the the pension is the the largest proportion that's spent on on welfare. I think it's like half. And it is like it's government welfare, um, but the way that it's talked about has made it welfare being linked to. New start being linked to doll bludgers, like that sort of language. So yeah. therefore, nobody wants to be identified as someone as being on welfare, as if it's inherently a bad thing, rather than it being exactly what governments are there to do: is to look after vulnerable people, whether that be job seekers, whether that be mothers, whether that be you know, like for um, paid parental leave, whether that be pensioners, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, like t- people with disability. Like that is exactly what our governments should be looking after. And the idea that we can demonise certain sections of it um, and, you know, then it, it creates an us against them as well because yeah. it creates some people who are on government welfare going, well, I'm not that person. I'm not that That's person. That's exactly what it is. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and at the same time as the numbers that they're using to attack the unemployed are they they're mainly themselves the cost that they ascribe to the unemployed is mainly inflated by their own by the old age pension yeah. it's not even go, like they're complaining about money going to people that they're receiving yeah. not the, 
Yeah, just if you anyway, all right. So there are four main grab bits out of these two grams of audio. So one of the grabs is Scummo talking to the Queensland Resources Council, promising that he's going to stop secondary boycotts uh, and saying that protesters are indulgent. Now, I would like this ideally to be in, in order of, of the points I wanted to make, which is that you've got Scummo saying that protesters are indulgent. You've got Dutton declaring that protesters should pay for police and also should lose social security. We've got Richard Miles from the front bench of the ALP agreeing and also claim, saying that they're not even protesting for a cause, which is just mystifying. And then you've got him promising, the scummo promising that he'll stop the boycotts, secondary boycotts. So the scummo ones are one bit of audio and they're in the opposite order of what I just said. And the Dutton and Miles bits are also from, a, uh, they're from their own bit of audio, which is, you'll hear it. I'm not going to, the reason I'm doing it like mm. this is I'm not going to break it into little bits. I'm just going to play the grabs as they are. Um, so you can also be infuriated by the way that Dutton and Miles, um, by the whole problem, is introduced by the Today Show host as if, like, <laughs> there's nothing outrageous about threatening to starve people who protest. Like, she just presents it like, you know, but how are you going to do it? <laughs> like, hang on. Anyway, let's play the two. So I'm going to play um, the Scummo 2 first, and then we'll respond to those briefly, and then we'll play Miles and Dutton. And look. Everybody, just maybe if you've got something, if you, I don't know if you're driving, you're sort of you're <laughs> holding off the steering wheel. But if you're just sitting around, just have something that you can sort of <laughs> squeeze. <laughs> Here they are. But there is a third and even more worrying development, an escalating trend towards a new form of secondary boycotts in this country. This is a trend with potentially serious consequences for our economy and particularly our regional economies. Environmental groups are targeting businesses and firms who provide goods or services to firms they don't like, especially in the resources sector. It is a potentially more insidious threat to the Queensland economy and jobs and living standards than a street protest. Some of Australia's largest businesses are now refusing to provide banking, insurance and consulting services to an increasing number of firms who just support through contracted services to the mining sector and the coal sector in particular, which is the nation's second largest export sector. I think some of our largest corporations should listen and engage to their quiet shareholders, not just the noisy ones. When Australian corporations deny services to other Australian companies under pressure from these activist groups, there are only two inevitable outcomes. One, Australian business does less business, and the other, Australian businesses is forced to acquire goods or services from an alternative overseas supplier at a higher price. I accept that the government, of course, cannot force one Australian company to provide a service to another. But will this trend extend to other sectors that have a significant carbon footprint? Will we start to see similar boycotts of on and offshore gas projects and power generation? When are they coming after the abattoirs, the airlines? Is that the sort of economy that they see in the future and we're prepared to allow to occur? Is that the sort of country we want? Of course not. Let me assure you, this is not something my own government intends to allow to go unchecked. Together with the Attorney General, Christian Porter, we are working to identify serious mechanisms that can, can successfully outlaw these indulgent and selfish practices that threaten the livelihoods of fellow Australians, especially in our rural and regional areas, and especially here in Queensland. Now, we will take our time to get this right. 
We will do the homework and we're doing that right now. But we must protect our economy from this great threat. Yeah, and he's staggering the way he talks about the economy as if it was, say, some kind of environment in which we have to live that, that needs to be protected. Um, whilst being completely oblivious to the physical, literal environment in which we live. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I know that a lot of people have a problem with the idea of, like, no jobs on a dead planet, but, I mean, it's pretty accurate. If we don't do anything about the environment and about climate change, then there is no economy. There are no jobs. There is, you know, none of, none of those typical political words that are used to try and win elections, I suppose. Jobs and growth, etc. And nobody ever calls him on the idea that there aren't that many jobs in question and it's not bringing that much money in and there are alternative industries that could be doing it. I think the New York Times responded to our war on climate activism this week. Um, they, they did a report on it and we'll talk about Miles and Dutton in a second and their war on it. But they also made the point from an Australian Institute bit of research, which they did a poll and they found that Australians believe that coal mining accounts for 12.5% of Australia's economic output and employs 9.3% of its workforce. Whereas in reality, it's 0.4% of workers and 2.2% of Australia's GDP. So we massively... Like, they've done a great job. Look, I have to say, the coal industry, the resources industry, you've got value for money from your investment in the Liberal Party. They've been willing to sacrifice the rest of the Australian corporate sector, even. They've been willing to send... To hell with the rest of us. Just even the rest of their corporate base, they've been willing to sacrifice for these for the resources sector. Um, and, yeah, they've successfully persuaded Australians that, that you are much more important than you are. And much more, and doing much more for us than you are. And we serve it with the Dani, like the massive inflated numbers of jobs that they claim for it. Like, yeah. their only defense being jobs and growth is what we're, we're sacrificing the planet for. Even that doesn't stack up. I mean, this, yeah. No, the spin that they're able to do on coal mining is just, um, I mean, the only way that they can actually do it is that they get that spin reinforced by the media um, and by politicians. So, you know, the mining industry and mining companies have pretty powerful um, people also holding up that spin and not, not questioning it, I suppose. And, you know, when you look at something like Adani in Queensland, when the whole, like you, you've got um, regional Queensland areas who are really struggling when it comes to prosperity, when it comes to jobs, when it comes to like their livelihoods, they, they don't have, um, you know, much potential of work uh, they don't have you know the ability to create jobs themselves and so the idea that someone is going to come in and create jobs for their communities of course that's something they're going to to jump on and they're going to say that is is desperately needed because it is um, but I think the most disappointing thing is that these are communities that are actually um, being caught up in this spin because we know that when it's actually broken down, most of the jobs are automated, most of them are um, temporary, a lot of them Five they will hours. actually get people yeah. from outside communities coming in and doing. So there, there are people who have voted essentially for have stuck to this party line about, uh, you know, Adani being a really positive thing for their communities who won't see any benefit. There won't be any benefit for the community. The community will end up worse off for having something like Adani come into it. Um, but yet they, they kind of have no other option because no one's giving them an alternative because you've got both the LNP and Queensland Labor sort of saying that this is the option for them um, and no one's sort of bold enough to say no to Adani and then yeah. go, but this is the option... And we know that, like, the Great Barrier Reef is going to be 
affected by this um, and there are more jobs. Well, it's not like the Great Barrier Reef prov- provides jobs. It's not like there are jobs associated with the reef. No, there are more jobs in the reef than there ever will be in Adani yeah. and those jobs will be lost. And, you know, so it's, it's that forward thinking again and it's that if, if someone can stand up in a press conference and say, look at us, we've created a thousand jobs. Hang on, hang on. But Pauline Hanson and, and the Environment Minister went up there and they looked at a bit of the reef that was fine. So, you know, nothing to worry about. Yeah, just one bit of the reef is fine. The rest of it's dead, but, you know, and it's just continuously dying. But one bit's fine. Hang on, people will come to Australia to see the, you know, a, a brief kilometre stretch of the reef that's still alive, which also makes sense. It's totally the case that just because Abitus hasn't died yet, that that's, you know, the trends. The trends are fine just because the rest of it's dying off. You know, doesn't mean that this bit of the reef that's in the same waters will die off too. I guess it's like, what's the tipping point? Like, what's the tipping point with the reef? What's the tipping point with climate change? Because we've got the data. The data has been there. The science has been there. The research has been there for many, many years. We've had many people um, who have peer-reviewed, evidence-based research um, on all of these things that are, that are saying the world is warming, it's getting worse, this is the effect that this will have, the reef is dying, etc., etc. Um, and yet there are the people in power won't listen because of their ties to corporations, their ties to um, you know their political donors, and it's just not expedient for them to win elections to you know um, say that yes, it's right, we need to do something immediately. But there has to be a tipping point. Oh, darling, see very upset baby she's like what is the tipping point what is the point when people will realize <laughs> okay have you been telling her about the melting permafrost because she shouldn't oh, hear about that yet i know you're too young no, no don't, don't listen to... Perm- permafrost is not you don't want to hear you do not want to hear about what that means it's fine it's fine everything's gonna be good but I, I worry that the tipping point is we're not there and it, it scares me of what that tipping point will be. And I feel like it, you know, is it going to be too late? Well, it almost certainly is, isn't it? Because of the huge lag, by the time that happens, the genie's out of the bottle sort of thing. There's a lag between the damage being done and the effects being felt, meaning if we don't, if, if we're going to stick with the line of until I until the water's lapping at my door, I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> then we're, which is apparently as humans is what we Well, because Trump's just pulled out of Paris. So, yeah, we might, like, it, it, okay, so their line, obviously, is what can Australia do? We're too small to affect anything, so what's the point? If we do something, it's not going to make a difference anyway. Yeah. And- Which is, like, the worst, like, selfish little little kid or selfish old boomer argument like that. <laughs> well, it's up to a point because, like, it's, it's certainly, like, while there is a hope... We need to do our part because we can't persuade anyone if we're we're doing more you know more pollution per capita. We can't. I love their disingenuous. Oh, why don't you talk to China? Well, because moment China produces a shitload less per capita, and they're never going to even if even if they weren't like a fairly brutal um, regime in Beijing that doesn't really have all that much interest in listening to what you know we say to them. But even if that wasn't the case, like it's not like we have any kind of moral authority to make an argument while we're polluting a hell of a lot more per capita. Like, doing our part is like a prerequisite for getting other people on board. And simultaneously, yeah, we could stop doing that thing that the Australian government's doing of going around deliberately sabotaging action on climate change all the time. Like, we're the, we do the worst in both ways. We don't do our part, yeah. and we actively try and discourage other countries from doing it. So, go us. We, we are punching above our weight in terms of effing the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But that said, but like you know, wouldn't we want to be one of the leaders on this? And you know, even if other people aren't coming with us yet, like, wouldn't it be great for us to be able to say that 
we were there all along or that we, you know, start, we started and we helped enact change happening on a larger scale. I just don't understand the idea. Well, I suppose it, it depends if you, so they've sold the idea that action has to be costly and harmful, which is not true because a switch to renewable energy, even on their own modeling shows, is actually cheaper in the long run. Or in fact, in the medium term as well, mm. as I understand it. No, so say, say for a minute that their, that their framing of everything was, was right and that, it was going to be costly for us to do something. Um, and then it's a question of how much do we sacrifice of AR conditions now, but also be our ability to deal with, if it's inevitable, to deal with the consequences. If, if we're, it's already effed and we're all screwed, then don't we need to be putting the resources into like mitigating the effects and mm. doing whatever? So I, I understand that argument. And it's certainly, that's a more powerful argument when you've got actors like Donald Trump basically just throwing it all, throwing in the towel and going, you know, this huge economy is just going to burn what we can to hell with the rest of you, in which case it doesn't really matter what the rest of us do. But I do, but I would also say in response to that, A, Trump won't be in forever. And so if like part of what we could be doing in terms of dealing with it is making it more and more obvious that there are more effective ways of doing it. So one of the things, we could be developing the technologies to do it. So when America does turn around under a different president, we've got the, you know, ability to produce better panels, better, um, like the technology. The rest of us could be developing the technology so that when the people, the countries that are behind, finally do sign on. Mm. Or even if they don't do it for out of concern for the global environment, if they just do it out of you know, self-interest because it's clearly a better way of approaching things, then I can see the benefit to do it for us doing it now. And yeah, the second point being, we've managed to lose the argument. I don't know how we've managed to lose the argument that to do anything on climate change means push, pushing up energy prices. Because it's not true. Mm. Like the, the whole opposition to action on climate change is based on the lie that it's responsible for the high energy prices. Yeah, and and, and I don't understand how we failed people, to win that. And that's you know it affects every, people's everyday lives. And something like bill stress is real. And so if you can link any sort of policy or you know inaction on anything to something that affects people's day to day lives. They're going to vote for that a lot quicker yeah. than what they'll vote for something that might affect future generations, whatever. It's not that they don't inherently care about that. It's just that they're struggling with every day. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, that can sometimes be the problem um, of environment movements that talk about, you know, climate emergencies and, and, and you know, they're not sort of addressing the real strains that people have on their lives their day to day to get to get through, which is jobs, which is bill prices, which is struggling to pay for things, and I feel like unfortunately the LNP have nailed some of that messaging just a lot better than other movements and other parties, and that's why people, you know, vote for them. So why? How can obviously in the Greens in Queensland, like that's kind of presumably the Queensland Greens have got a huge. How do you get that message out and, and convince people that? And obviously the Greens have a huge problem that the media just ignore them as much as possible. But how do you like get the message out that look, um, you're under bill stress, but that's because of the people who are trying to blame. Yeah. If you are on board with this, if the, if we move to more renewable forms. That's your bill, bills are going to go down. Even the Libzone modeling shows that. Like, I don't understand why Labor never seized on that report from like 2013 that the Libs did their own modeling and it showed that, you know, a higher renewable energy target led to significant, significantly lower power prices. And Labor never, I've never heard Labor report re- refer to that. Like, it leaked, it was the Libzone modeling, 
surely that's dynamite. Yeah. I mean, and I think that in Queensland, we actually um, are certainly moving towards, for the Queensland Greens, like the last state election that we had, um, which was one of the best results that we've ever had. Um, and... You know, it was it was about more social issues. Like it was it was while recognizing people are always going to vote for the Greens if you care about the environment, or you're going to vote for Labor and maybe Greens second. Like oh. you know, people know that's what the Greens do. Um, but like to have a really clear and concise message about you know this is what we like. You are stressed because of housing. You are stressed because of bills. Like this is what we could do to change that and to help with your stress. Mm. And personally, I think the Queensland Greens are doing a really great job with that. And, you know, you can link everything essentially back to, um, you know, the environment and climate change will also affect the economy and it will, like, this will be um, a result that will happen or renewable energy if we tra- as we transition to a renewables it will save people money but it will also create lots of jobs like mm. you know the the modeling that has been done um of adani versus investment in renewable energy shows that it's it's more bang for our buck um you know and i guess you know it's it's really up to the labor government to to sell that and to to message that effectively and they're not going to because they're really really worried because of the federal election results they're really worried about queensland um we've got an election state election coming in october next year um and queensland labor are worried about losing because it's a slim majority that they have there's no there's no upper house in queensland so as soon as you have any sort of majority in parliament um you can get basically anything you want through queensland parliament is nothing more than a painful theatre production um, because there's no checks and balances as you've got a majority. So, you know, the idea that Labor couldn't, Queensland Labor couldn't be doing certain things is bollocks because they absolutely could be. But they're trying to appeal to voters who probably wouldn't vote for them anyway. um, And they're doing it in a way, you know, where they're becoming less and less progressive rather than using their opportunity to do something good and show what a progressive government could do <laughs> now she stops now she stops uh, just as i've stopped talking she she loves to chat um and she loves to be involved in conversations so i feel like she feels like she's part of this podcast as well she has lots of things to say oh yeah no i i, we've, we, I should really actually do it featuring dale and juniper I <laughs> did um it just infuriates me when they get the power to do that and then they don't use it so like you know, even, like the American Democrats, when when Obama had two years of, of controlling the Congress, the Senate, and the presidency, where they could have actually done, you know, universal health care. And instead, they did nothing. Like, what was the point? They did nothing. And yeah, yeah Labor and Queensland. Okay, I, I won't, I don't want to preempt this, but a major part of the discussion about Labor will be my frustration that when they are doing their thing of trying to have no difference between themselves and the conservatives by repeating conservative lines, they are not just not presenting themselves as much of an alternative. They are actively harming progressive policy by, in effect, arguing for the right-wing point of view, basically conceding the argument to the libs, which makes that argument seem stronger. It, may, it persuades people that that argument is right. And it's the same as, like, when the libs do tax cuts and Labor's like, oh, well, we, we want to do tax cuts too because tax cuts are good, rather than saying, no, those tax cuts come at the expense of basic services that we can be pri- providing. Um, and they instead of doing that, they concede, they concede that yeah. like, tax cuts... Reducing revenue and thereby reducing the ability to spend on public services, that's a right-wing position. And if you if you concede it to the libs, 
then that becomes the established mm. center, the established idea, and you can never out tax cut the libs. No, it's idiot. Anyway, we will get to Labor uh, by playing some more of the Dutton Miles uh, footage. I just want to respond quickly to the scummo thing where he's, he wants to stop secondary boycotts. Uh, well, actually, protesters are indulgent. No, they're not, Scummo. Like, very active protesting and taking time yeah. out of your life to stand up for something that you genuinely believe in and want to make a change is like the opposite of indulgence. Yes. I was like- that is, you know, I just, yeah, I, I, I think because obviously Scott Morrison would have no idea what it's like to protest something because as an old white man, he's probably never faced any sort of adversity or struggle. So he's never had to stand up and stand against um, you know, the status quo or stand against power. And so he just doesn't get it, which why it seems indulgent. Well, because he's like, it's indulgent to basically force us to listen to you. Whereas he always gets listened to anyway. <laughs> he's like a conservative white man. Yeah, his, yeah. <laughs> his point of view, whereas progressives, we don't even, we not only just don't get listened to, we get people saying that saying that they're progressives. Like what well, Claire O'Neill on the front page of the Oz last week was being like, this this is the, the this is the progressive side, and the progressive side of politics lost its way. Clarence Neal doesn't speak for progressives. Like we don't only not get listened to when we speak; we get told that what right wing people say is actually what we think. Like get stuff. Anyway, so that was infuriating. Um, and also, wait, if you want to compare, if you want to talk about things being indulgent, uh, the the what was it? The how much did it cost per head to go to Tony Abbott's worship bash in Sydney the other night? Uh. Like. I think, in fact, it's his intelligence and depth of thought that wasn't properly appreciated. Let's talk about indulgent. That, just the libs basically massaging each other, to put it nicely. I want to make mention tonight of Joe Hockey and Peter Credlin, two of the most unfairly maligned figures of the Abbott era. They served their Prime Minister loyally and with distinction, and history should record it that way. Just revolting. Anyway, the other part of that audio, obviously, was him talking about stopping secondary boycotts. And that's just, I, I love, because I, if you talk to the mm. free market, you know, IPA type people, they'll be like, you don't need, we don't need governments because the market fixes things itself. It'll, like, if there's a problem, the market can deal with it. Like, if there's a social problem, you know, consumers can vote with their money. They can decide mm. what they're going to do. And, you know, it'll fix itself. You don't need, you just leave it all up to the market, man. But then as soon as the market does something that the Queensland Resources Council doesn't like, the Libs are like, to hell with, to hell with free market capitalism, to hell with the market. It needs to be, the market is naughty. It's a naughty market and it's inadequately backing up our mates. <laughs> we don't like it because it's not doing what we want it to do. <laughs> the only thing I can agree with is that absolutely we don't need government. But I, I feel that We don't need I, government? What? Wait. We don't, no. Politics, government, burn it all down to the ground. We don't need it. Um, it's it's a terrible institution. It's broken. Hang on. So you mean we don't need this to- this form of government? Wrong. We obviously need a form of government. Maybe not like you know a unicameral parliament like Queensland. But presumably we need some kind of representative democracy that you know to like you can't exactly have public services and things if you don't have you know a a, a mechanism governed by. The people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just like democracy at the moment uh, in Queensland and federally is broken um, and it's not working for anybody. And I feel like, as we talked about earlier, like the cycle of political parties just pushing to get re elected rather than actually representing democratically the people that they are supposed to using. To, like, people don't want to pay taxes because. They don't feel like they can see the value in what their taxes are going to because we're funding billions of dollars of submarines or 
if, if taxes were used and spent to benefit society more, then I feel like people would be like, yes, take my taxes. Yeah, agreed. And, and I think that that's part of what we'll talk about with, with Labor um, and, and their failure to advocate for these things. I, I would just say, maybe when we're critiquing um, the current system, maybe, maybe we couldn't, shouldn't be saying that we're critiquing democracy and more highlighting the way that this system is not in fact democratic at all because it doesn't <laughs> you don't get a part we don't get a parliament that represents actually the electorate mm. if we had a parliament that, and and that has a whole lot of flow and effect and in fact if they're talking about the virtues of the market like it's one of those big things of market failure in terms of ideas because you don't have it's got this huge barrier of entry the greens what nationally get what 10 percent or more of the vote yeah which should be like 15 seats in 150 yeah. seat parliament and they get they're lucky to get one yeah and that's because, and the vote that's because the way the single member system works, it's spread out and they're just all redirected to Labor. So if the Greens on ten percent of the vote are struggling to get represented in Parliament at all, it stops, you know, others even small part even getting involved at all. So basically, you don't have all the bullshit about the free market is the mm. idea that, that people can come in with new, better ideas and 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 you know persuade people. And in the case of our versions of democracy, they can't because you've got these huge barriers to entry. And that's not impossible. Like, you can have proportionally represented systems. Mm. You can have multi-member electorates. There are systems whereby you get in a parliament that matches the electorate, and those are vaguely democratic. And then people actually have to not just be, like, not as bad as the opposing side, but they mm. have to actually sell people, this is what I stand for, and I either need to pick something that's already a majority position anyway, which in which case I'm probably competing with other people who've got the same idea, or I have to actually persuade you of why this is a better way to go. In that case, I don't know that it would be failing so much because I think that a lot of the logic and the, the arguments are actually on the left side. It's just that the systems aren't. Yeah, I mean, the two-party system where it's one or the other, and that's how a lot of people think and feel like their vote has to go, is broken. Um, the way that it, it, it works means that there isn't representation and the way that those parties internally work is problematic as well. So, you know, you, you, you have people who are so disengaged and disenfranchised with politics that they will hear a screen grab of Pauline Hanson on Sunrise and they'll agree with something that she says and they won't look at anything else that she says, but they'll, they'll, she'll be speaking to their particular hardship and they'll go, yep, that's who I'm going to, to vote for. Yeah. Like, I feel like, you know, we live in a little bit of an echo chamber, especially on Twitter, where there's a lot of really politically engaged people yeah. and there's a lot of people who know much more than the average person about political parties' policies, what their, you know, history in Parliament has been, um, you know, the key players, what that looks like, etc., etc. Your everyday person doesn't have that same level of engagement or knowledge. And so... Or time to do it. Like, yeah. And, we, and we, we, you know, we, it's very easy for them to feel that we're talking down to them with that. But we're not. We're just saying, no, you, I mean, part of, part of the brutality of capitalism is it basically keeps you busy trying to survive and unable to... Participate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're getting on with time. So let's let's play this. So this is the audio here of the next step. So not just secondary boycotts from Scummo, not just protesters are indulgent, which Richard Miles from the front bench of the Labor Party makes sure that he, he endorses. But Dutton actually wants protesters to pay for this police to starve by losing social security. And uh, Miles thinks that for some reason, I, th I don't even know how Miles came to the conclusion, but somehow people who are taking time out to protest against the inaction on climate change and against what the mining industry is doing, they don't have a cause. Like, even if you don't agree with their cause, to argue that they're not even standing for anything when it's such an obvious, clear thing they're standing for. Oh. It's breathtaking. Anyway, take it away. Today's show, Dutton and Miles. 
Now, another issue I want to address with you today, the Prime Minister says he's had enough with protesters causing dramas around the country. We've seen the ugly scenes in Melbourne this week and Sydney, of course, hit by that Halloween strike last night. Peter Scott Morrison is today set to announce a plan to crack down on activists. He calls them indulgent, selfish, apocalyptic. What exactly is this plan going to involve? Well, Deb, this is one area where there is a divide between politics. So I think on aged care, uh, we should be above uh, the sort of arguments that Richard just put forward. But in relation to these protesters, uh, these are people who are associated with the Greens, with the Labor Party, with GetUp, and oh, for many of them, for many of them, they don't believe even in democracy. Uh, this is not about free speech. It's not about the ability to protest. These people are completely against our way of life. So I think the Prime Minister is dead right in saying that these people can protest peacefully, as many people do, but the disruption that they seek to cause, uh, the disharmony that they seek to sow within our society is unacceptable. So what does and the plan involve? I mean, you well, said in the past that benefits could be taken from protesters who are actually disrupting society. Is that an option on the table? What are you going to do? Well, the Prime Minister is looking at the ways in which we can, we can firm the laws up now. I think one of the ways uh, that the state governments need to look at is to to charge people the cost of the police response. We don't have 150 police just sitting around in Melbourne or Brisbane or Sydney waiting to respond to these people who spontaneously pull these stunts together. These police are being diverted away from other activities and, and there should be a price to pay for that. And I think unless they're being dealt with adequately before the magistrates' courts at a state level, then it's very hard to understand why they, they are being deterred from what they're doing. Obviously, they're not. If you're going to the courts eight times and getting a slap on the wrist, why wouldn't you do it a ninth time? So uh, I think the, firm, the firmness of the laws uh, is one thing that we can look at from a federal level and the Prime Minister uh, is right to call this out. Richard, is that something Labor would support? Well, I, I think, well, firstly, the, the, the protesters are absolutely indulgent, completely agree with the Prime Minister's assessment of that. Uh, and the idea that Peter's trying to create a political divide on that, uh, you know, is, is low rent, to be, to be frank. Um, these are people who are not actually about a cause. They're about engaging in a personal experience at the expense of uh, Australians, in this case Victorians, trying to get on with their lives. Mm. Um, the, the, there are extensive laws around interfering with contractual relations which exist at a federal level right now. So, you know, Peter and his government could think about implementing those laws. We'll have a look at uh, whatever the government is putting forward. Um, but I think the starting point is to see whether or not this government can actually act on the laws that it already has in place. Yeah, so Richard Miles on the front bench uh, calling for the Conservatives to be more violent to uh, progressive protesters. So, you know, next time Labor shows up knocking at your door at election time saying... Look, we're a pretty progressive party. You don't need to vote for the Green candidate. You can rely on Labor to be progressive. Just remember that. Bum, bum. Yeah, and I mean, we're seeing that happening in Queensland where we've got some pretty scary laws being passed by the Queensland Parliament um, about protesting with the idea that it's because of all of the XR climate protests. But the way that it could be used is really quite um, worrying and problematic um, and it really harks back to the Joe Bjorki-Peterson days. I guess with Miles, you know, saying protesters are indulgent, that they're not about a cause, they're about engaging in a personal experience. I mean, it, spends, it, it seems like he's had, you know, some social media Instagram briefing with one of his staffer and he, he finally has figured out what Instagram is and, and thinks that maybe that's why these people are doing it because he just doesn't get it. Do you think he's ever been on a protest? Because <laughs> I, have, I find protests annoying and tiring and exhausting and frustrating that I have to do them. Uh, I, I, I hate protests. Like, 
they're not for fun. They're not for fun. They're work. They're, they're not for fun. They're, they're a struggle. They're absolutely. They're because you're outraged by something and you feel like I need to get out on the streets and I need to have my voice somewhat heard with, you know, I need to show support with a bunch of other people to Be say, hey, we need to have a change. And when you're talking about the Labor Party, like, you know, that's kind of like strikes and protests and like that's an, a, a part of what they're their core is and what their base, what, you know, we've, we've won so many things in the labor movement um, and for, you know, women's equality and, you know, by doing things like disrupting and protesting and, you know, not sitting down quietly when we're being asked to, that it just blows my mind that a party like the labor party are, you know, calling protesters indulgent. Um, but that was and, in the past, you know, Dale. That was in the past, in the old days when they had to fight for everything. Whereas fixed. now it's all fixed. Exactly. <laughs> like, that, that was the old Labor Party, the, not not the new one. Now that now that they they've achieved their aims. Yeah. And, and you know, Labor is powerful, and uh, by, by Labor I mean sorry, workers. Workers are powerful, and their wages are you know not stagnating, and they're definitely not being exploited all over the place. And you know, it's all fine. It's all yeah. fine. It's all fine. They've got they've got you know fixed everything. They don't need to strike anymore because everything's fine. No. The balance is there balance is right but i mean i i feel like this you know comes down to like a good protest versus a bad protest and i feel like um you know both sides of politics both lmp and labor are uncomfortable with climate change protesting because neither of them are doing anything about it yeah, when you right. come stop to calling us out for the shitty things that we're not to, exactly. right, actions and failures yeah they don't they don't and and they're you know keying into the general public feeling a bit frustrated because they are getting disrupted by their going about their day-to-day um because you know protesters are disrupting it's you know it's against our way of life as as Duffin says how outrageous was that this idea that basically look you know you can have you can have your protest but you can't disrupt so what you can like sit in the you know the cage at the Russian Olympics or whatever. What was it? The, the Russian. There was the Russian Games, or it was, it was kind of in the Olympics. Whatever one it was, where they basically had a protest area that was like miles away under a freeway in like a metal cage. Like you can protest as long as it's going to have no effect whatsoever. You're yeah. just wasting your time and shouting into the so wind. that we You're can not completely to do ignore you. Yes. Um, and you know, I think about the recent. You know, obviously, given the work that I do, um, abortion law reform happening in Queensland last year and New South Wales this year. Like, there were protests on both sides. Um, not that I think that, like, as with climate change, I don't think that something like reproductive rights should have two sides, but apparently it does. Um, and, you know, you've got anti-abortion people who are protesting and hitting the streets and saying, you know, we, we care about the unborns. Um, and, you know, ScoMo and Dutton certainly don't have a problem with that type of protest. No, no, I, I remember that when uh, there were the protests about against um, abortion decriminalisation in New South Wales and there were those, um, you know, the, the, the Catholic Church and uh, the religious right got out their, their people into the park and Martin Isles was telling lies to them and... You remember yeah, the, claiming, yeah. claiming that people have been saying putting fetuses, put the fetus in the bin rather than put the bigots in the bin, where he knew that was a lie. All yep, that stuff. They, yep. Yeah, and I mean Barnaby Joyce spoke at that rally, and he said, "You're all doll budgets, and we're taking away your social security." If I recall, no way. Well, absolutely, because that's what all protesters are, right? But I mean, as I said, like there's there's protesters that they that are okay, and protests that aren't okay, and it, it's like if it's for my cause or if it's for something that we believe in or our constituency base believes in um like you know being anti 
um, abortion law reform, then we're okay with that. But if it's something that we're uncomfortable with because we're not doing anything about it, like climate change, then we're going to criminalise that or we're going to make it difficult or we're going to demonise those people. Do you remember them getting... I don't think that happens the other way, though. I don't remember the left. When you remember they when Alan Jones organised, had, had that convoy of com, no confidence, whatever it was, in when they, there was a carbon price and they mm. had the truckers, like, surround and seriously blockade Canberra. Yeah. I don't remember them turning around and, and saying we need to criminalise protest because it's disruptive or saying that they're all you know they're not working obviously not working hard enough and they should be back at work it's weird i don't remember the left running the same lines demonizing protests and that's probably because the left recognizes that protest is kind of an important part of progressive politics whereas the right can be a bit more dismissive about it because as a general rule they're the status quo mm. they're fine with the status quo you don't need to protest if you've got all the power and money anyway like they already have the system is already rigged in their favor yeah they don't need to disrupt it but yes, when they when their supporters go and disrupt it, they're really sympathetic to mm. them. They're really like, oh no, no, we've got to listen to your concerns and take them seriously, rather than you're a pack of useless doll bludgers and you don't deserve to be heard. Mm. And I mean, the idea, I, I can't get, I can't get over the idea. It's separate to protests, I can't get over the idea that we that, that it's been sold in Australia that it's okay to cut holes in the safety net and basically the line that that person's under that person should be cut off. We just cut people off social security. What do you think they're going to do? Well, yeah, and I don't think that anybody is really linking that. Like, if you cut somebody off, you know, government welfare payments, you are essentially saying you have no money to live and we do not care if you die. You, you know, do not deserve to have a roof over your head or food on your table, let alone, you know, ability to have public transport or socialize which are you know really really important things for humans to do and people that are you know wanting to cut payments for whatever reason whether it be people who are protesting or just because they don't believe that you know something like new start should be raised it's like you are you don't realize that what you are saying is that you think that people should not be able to survive that you think that people should not survive, which is just an awful thing that as a society we... Ha- Bad people. <laughs> it just blows my mind that it's people are so selfish that they only think about themselves and don't have the empathy to think about fellow humans and go, yes, you actually do deserve to have enough money to live. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, even if they were just looking at it from a self-interested point of view, I... You know, what, what do you think happens when you throw a whole lot of people off with no means to support themselves? What do you reckon they do to survive? Do you think they just die in the park or do you think they find, well, that, that many of them probably do, but what, what else do you think happens? Like, it's an idiotic idea, even from a self-interested point of view, from the people. Like, it's, I mean, hell, if I was starving to death and had no, no alternatives to live, I feel like I feel like property crime is justified in that situation. Yeah. I feel like when we read, <laughs> you know, we read Dickens, we're not going... Well, you know, those people... You know, in fact, how much of Australia, how much of white Australia takes pride in their, their convict forebears and their, their story is, you know, they stole a loaf of bread to survive. So we don't actually... Even the, the Australian mythos, the white Australian, mm. um, you know, first fleet mythos is that it's okay to commit property crime when, when circumstances are dire. So, okay, what do you think is going to happen if you starve people to death? And I, th- I do think we need to stop calling it welfare, making it seem like a gift, and we should go back to referring to it as social security yeah. and reminding people that safety net doesn't just... Okay, it protects... Stop. It's a safety net that protects all of us. Yeah. It also ensures your conditions because employers can't starve people. Uh, they can't keep your run your conditions down and just go take them or starve. Yeah. Social Security actually protects wages and conditions as well, and mm. it protects you if 
shit goes wrong. Like it's it's you pay insurance for your house, you pay insurance for your car. Social security is insurance for if something goes wrong in your life generally. Yeah. Like I don't understand why the left can't actually be arguing that. Look, social security, it's insurance for all of us. Yeah. It's insurance for you. You don't have and and in a progressive tax system before the Labour Party voted with the Libs to destroy our progressive tax system or no not destroy but decimate it. If you're closer to the bottom and more likely to need it, you're not the one. It's the people who are very rich who'll be paying more for it. Mm. But it benefits it benefits them as well. It basically benefits the vast majority of people. It's only the people at the very very top who you know have the level the level of resources that it doesn't that they are impervious to harm. Mm. All the rest of us, social security is vital. It's not just for those other people. It's actually vital for... There's a self-interested version argument for Social Security as oh, well. Oh, it's vital for the economy. Like, you know, it's proven that if we were to give... You know, if we were to raise the rate of new start to something that does give at least a living wage, then that would help the... It would have a massive boost to the economy. A mm. lot better than giving, you know, billionaires more tax cuts or giving, you know, the top end of town more bloody, you know, negative gearing and kickbacks and tax whatever. They're giving them more. They're just maintaining the rules that they've already maintaining, established for them. Yeah, like they don't generally are not using that money to live. Therefore, it's not day-to-day boosts of the economy. So, like, it's pretty basic. All right, this is probably the point to talk about the ALP review. And um, so we're not going to talk about some other stuff that was in here, but I'm, I'm just going to tap on them like a mm-hmm. meanwhile sketch on The Late Show or something, but basically just like... Georgina Downer's giving up on South Australia and coming to, back to Victoria. So the Downers just given up. I, I did, was just owed that seat. My dad had it. His dad had it. They were, <laughs> we're, we're establishment family. Why is it not mine? Oh, to hell with it. I'm just going back to Victoria where, where I, I like being anyway because South Australia as a whole, I think, is her rationale. Like, the fact that she doesn't even want to be there. She just wanted to be back with her IPA mates in Melbourne. Anyway. But she was so committed to that seat. She had that giant check. Yeah. Um, that the, we had the Libs admitting in court that they were trying to look at, like, the AEC, the person who authorised those ads, saying that they that, that, admitting the whole point of it was to look like the AEC. But then we've got the AEC coming back and saying, well, yeah, but it doesn't matter because it probably didn't change the result, even though, like, it was 500 votes in one of those two seats. Like, um, like it's... Wow. The idea that the AEC, I don't know how, the AEC is one of the great parts of Australia. We had this sort of independent electoral commission. We don't have the problems like in the US. And for them to have been got at and be like, oh, we don't really mind when people are pretending to be us. Like the AEC should be like, should be outraged. They should be saying, no, no, we actually need legislative protection that that our colours are sacrosanct and set for us. And there's no possibility of confusion. And anyone who who like deliberately tries to impersonate us is is dealt with harshly. Like the AEC should want... Like their independence maintained. Like that should be absolutely. And the idea that they don't really care—that's really worrying. Uh, we had a New South Wales the minister, the police minister. Not not only like what? What did he do? Like um, shoved a, a pea plate or something at him? But sorry. yeah, that who clipped his Lexus yes. in the church? Like, car I work park. The, the police. What is it? I work for the police, or the police work for me, or something. It's like weird. But anyway, the, um, but he's also the one who says that strip searching kids is fine and he wouldn't mind it if it happened to his kids. His kids. Imagine being his kids. I mean, Thanks, Dad. I have to say, gee. And like the stats that have come out of that are just shocking. Like the fact that there are 12 and 13 year olds being strip searched. What is, is the wrong with them? You know, there is never any reason that that is acceptable. And it's, it's such an abuse of power. Um, oh. And I think some of the stats said that it, you know, it's ten percent um, Indigenous people, um, and that may not even be that's that's probably lower than what it actually is because it wasn't recorded their Aboriginality anywhere. It was just based on 
their self-identification or whether they looked like they were Aboriginal. So, you know, you, you've got to say that there's there's some targeting of young, vulnerable people happening there, which is really disgusting. So those, we won't, won't mention those. We won't, we're we going to have to pass on the culture wars stuff. So Margaret Court demanding to be treated like Rod Laver mm. and, and have her Grand Slam 50th anniversary thing um, honoured by Tennis Australia. Um, and I, I didn't, somebody found a, a, a newspaper article um, the, from back in the 70s or 80s where she was talking about... So the she in this quote is Navratilova and the it is homosexuality. Mm. But I feel like this same quote can be applied to her views uh, and Tennis Australia being required to support them. Her quote was, she is a great player, but I'd like somebody at the top to whom younger players can look up. And it is very sad for children to be exposed to it. <laughs> now, that works perfectly well for Margaret Court and her homophobia. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing we're going to pass on is the Leunig. Uh, in, uh, is that how yeah. you pass it? I, th- I don't know. I think it's Leunig. 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 He, he, Leunig. After he's infuriating um, mothers are not looking after their children enough and, like, in a whole history of his stuff, basically, women going to work is, is abusing their children, basically. Mm. He wrote an apology. Well, he didn't write an apology. He wrote a response, um, which I thought was going to be an apology because the political editor of The Australian linked to it and was like, it's terrible that Leunig was forced to write an apology. And then you read it, and, and all he's saying throughout it is like, um, these stupid feminists, they wrote stuff to me, uh, and it was all dumb, and they didn't know that I'd already thought of that, without addressing it in any way. And he's like, but other people wrote to me about how, how I was decent and sane and, and great. <laughs> like, the people who liked me are wonderful, and the people who criticised me, I don't know how to engage with their arguments. It's a, t- it's a typical... Typical man being attacked moment, isn't it? Though it's like, no, oh, the feminists—they came after me and they said mean things to about me, and they're not—they're not true. <laughs> it's spectac- spectacularly infuriating. Like, I don't know if you haven't read it, um, and you want to have something that'll just like fire up. Yeah, I haven't. I've actually avoided it because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to give this dude any more, you know of my brain space because he certainly does not deserve it. Well, it, it, it is a. It is a spectacular. I mean, if if we had, if we weren't going to talk about labour now, we, we could talk about that various lines because they are all just <laughs> just infuriating. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised. I have to say, like, except for the fact that that Fairfax is now the former Fairfax is now incredibly like has just given up any pretense of not being right wing. <sighs> but um, like Kadelka has left the Australian, so mm. I wouldn't be surprised if Learning suddenly. Except Learning stuff is still too twee for the Australian. Yeah, like it's right wing and hot and misogynist enough for the Australian, but it's. Not the style of it's yeah. a bit too, yeah. <laughs> it's too sort of whimsical. <laughs> yeah. So actually, I probably can't see him showing up in the Oz. He's just going to stay at the the shitty former, you know, the carcass of the former Fairfax, and mm. you know, have his drivel published until. I mean, it's not like anybody's. It's not like you really say to hell with this. While you continue to employ learning, I'm going to cancel my yeah. Fairfax subscription. <laughs> Who has a Fairfax subscription anymore? Yeah, nah. Yeah. All right, so the ALP's done their internal review as to why they lost the election, and you've had a, you've had a look at it? Yeah, I have, yeah. Do you think they've got the point? Oh, I, I, I think they've made some interesting points, but what they'll actually take from it, I'm interested to see because, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure whether they'll actually focus on the things that need to be focused on. Well, not, not if a number of front benches like Miles and Bowen have their way. Anyway, they've, they've, they've really fired up Tom Ballard. Tom Ballard definitely has something stuck in his craw. Hey friends, Tom Ballard here. And this week, what's stuck in my craw is the freaking Australian Labour Party. Sorry, Jeremy, if the bulk of the episode's been dedicated to this already. 
I'm sure you've gone into the review of Labor's 2019 shit show of an election campaign in the episode. I want to focus on one thing in particular. I mean, if you, I haven't read the report, of course, because I've got a life, but I've been reading the articles of the coverage of it, and if you read that, you'll see there's a shitload of stuff uh, that went wrong. The fact that there wasn't a national campaign committee is mind-blowing, but I really want to focus on this insane recommendation <laughs> about how the Labour Party now should pursue the language of inclusion, abandoning divisive rhetoric, including references to the big end of town. This shit drives me crazy. You are the Labour Party. Do you know about the history of the Labour movement in this country and around the world? Right? What are you talking about abandoning a divisive rhetoric? This is fucking politics. You've got to fucking win. And the big end of town, rich people, billionaires like Clive Palmer, who you bitch about with all these ads... They are the enemy. They're the ones standing in the way of this becoming a more decent country for working class people, for us to secure progressive change, confront the climate crisis, do everything. It's this concentration of wealth. The banks are the enemy. People fucking hate the banks. How did you lose that fight? And how, how do you want to give that up for the sake of, what, being cosier to them than the fucking coalition that Scott Morrison will be? What are you talking about? The banks are the enemy. Clive Palmer is the enemy. The big end of town, rich, powerful people who run shit are the enemy. And most people hate them, and people who are at all going to consider voting for you despise them. Okay? You should be the party of, the, of ordinary working Australians. You should be the party of ordinary people, and you should identify. You should identify this enemy. That's not divisive language. We are divided by capitalism. We are divided by the way things are organised in our society. And if you want to make a difference to that, Labor, if you want to be on the the side of fucking working people and make things better for most people, then you need to take that fight on and not shy away from it. The problem with Shorten using that language all the time is that he couldn't back it up. His heart wasn't fucking in it. People could tell. He, he didn't really back up, you know, the criticisms of the big end of town with anything meaningful. If you're going to go after the big end of town, actually go after the big end of town, okay? And that's not just some mildly well-off boomers who have some franking credits. That's people with serious wealth in this country, <laughs> the overwhelming majority of them, major donors to the Liberal National Coalition, the people who are hell-bent on the status quo being preserved, and the people who don't give a shit about the fact that 750,000 kids live in poverty in this country, or about the people starving on Newstart, or Indigenous Australians who have been fucked over by hundreds of years <laughs> of dispossession and oppression and material poverty. I mean, you've got to lay out the case. We don't hate billionaires just because they exist and that we don't like their lifestyles. We hate that they exist while other people are barely getting by on so very, very little. That's the case that will draw more people to you. All right? Yes, that will take some divisive rhetoric because we are divided <laughs> because of the way resources are distributed in this country, okay? And I, and I sort of can't believe... I'm not, I don't know anything, for God's sakes. I'm just a comedian from Twitter. I can't believe that I've figured this out and I have to be talking to the Labour Party about how you are going to have to fight and make some goddamn enemies to win and make Australia better and to convince people that you actually back up your shit. The contrast couldn't be clearer if you look over to the UK and you look at what Jeremy Corbyn is doing. And you see this play out in the election campaign over there. You know, 
people on television having to defend the existence of billionaires, they look insane. And the Labour Party saying, we don't need billionaires, we should live, to, live in a society where they exist because other people are living on the fucking street. Jacob Rees-Mogg said into a microphone that he would be smarter than the people who died of the Grenfell Tower tragedy. He'd have more common sense than them, and he wouldn't have listened to the, 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 uh, the firefighter warning to, to stay put. Now, he's smarter because he's richer and smarter and he's wealthy and he's entitled and he's the right kind of person who should be in power. He's the smart guy. I mean, I mean you could not... He's almost a cartoonish <laughs> fop of a posh fool... And he is the big end of town. He is the enemy. He is the kind of people, that's the kind of ruling class bullshit that Labour can absolutely win on campaigning against. Not out of hatred, not out of anger, not because, not because of your politics of envy, because you know that in order to make things better, we need to take rich people's shit and share it more widely and more fairly to make Australia better. So please, the lesson from this election campaign is not to be more inclusive and watch, watch your language and be more conciliatory towards the people in power. It is to toughen the fuck up. Look, look deep inside your little labour heart and realise where your, your sympathies should lie and who you're fighting for. Ordinary people, please. Ordinary people against the big end of town. So the first point that Tom raised was something that, you know, as a member of a political party who's pretty engaged with some of the processes, especially with campaigning, that really stood out to me with the, the Labor Party review was the fact that there was no national campaign committee. I, it is unfathomable that you could have such a huge federal election and have no national body that is focused on campaigning and policy and messaging and bringing everything together, every state, um, you know, dealing with stakeholders and figuring out what your consistent messaging is, what your policies are, how you're going to, you know, what your comms plan is. It's just like, you know, I feel like the Greens must be killing it because we've got, you know, a pretty slick campaign committee. We've got, you know, pretty amazing folk who run some of that stuff and who do you know some pretty great work and the idea that that was just something that the Labor Party decided that they didn't need um, and that they could just have you know certain people making you know calls without much consultation um, kind of makes sense I guess when you look at what a dog's breakfast some of the um, the policy announcements were and how they were done um, but I, I really, I guess I gave them a little bit more credit for being political, politically savvy than what they seem to be. Was there a whole pitch to lefties? Look, you don't go with the Greens. They're sort of a marginal, marginal, you know, wacky sort of off to the side outfit. You stick with the, the main progress, the main professional progressive side. Like, sure, we might not be as, as progressive as you might like, but we have the mechanisms. We have the and we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. You're like, <laughs> nah, you yeah, really don't. Do you? <laughs> Because I feel like, yeah, that's politics 101. Like, having a campaign committee is, like, it's pretty basic. Um, but, yeah, so that kind of blew my mind as well, that it was wild to think that they, they didn't have that mechanism in place. Um, and, yeah, the the idea that they should 
try and be more inclusive and less divisive about the big end of town, again, is something that I really hoped that Labor wouldn't take from this. Um, And again, maybe sometimes I do give them too much credit because I feel like we kind of need them to be better. Yeah, Um, But because they're they're sabotaging not just themselves, but they're sabotaging everyone on the left by when when they, like they have a a big voice. And when they repeat the liberals' lines, they push politics that way. They make it harder for the rest of us to fight against that. Like they're claiming to be allies to progressives and then stabbing us in the back, making it worse. And, and, And the idea that they have... (laughs) <laughs> they might turn around now and be like, hey, the few progressive things we had, that's that's what lost it for us. And look, we did our best. <laughs> You're like, no. But now we're going to try and appeal more to the big end of town because obviously we didn't we didn't get that right and that's where we're going to get the votes. And honestly, that's not where they're going to get the votes, no. but that's where they may get the political donations. And there was something about donation reform in there, which is great yeah. to hear them talk about it because they are beholden to their political donors just as much as the libs are um and you know that is a massive problem in politics there's a huge huge problem like it's it's dirty it's corrupt and you know it's done in a way that you know it's completely legal like you know it's it's fine to for a company to give tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars to a political party and then see the benefits of that the babies are talking to each other even though they can't actually hear each other because we've both got headphones in no they're just like looking at each other and like communicating th- with through baby power. Hey, hey. Anyway, no, I, I, it, I, the donations thing is. I agree with you. It's it's, it's incredibly important, and and particularly because it's one of those things that sort of snowballs. So the more th- like that kind of influence just builds and builds and builds. And unless you draw lines, or you hit the point where, like in the American system, it's impossible to ever fix. So the idea that that we might be able to pull it back now before it just gets completely out of control. Yeah, I, I hope they do that. I'm not optimistic that they actually will. I think that's one of the recommendations that will be abandoned completely very quickly, but it'd be nice. Oh, yeah, and because I guess any political party pushing it, like everybody's got examples of them taking big corporate donations. So, you know, and again, I feel like it's it's Labor really going, we need to draw a line in the sand now, we need change because we need we need to do politics differently. One of the things that worries me is that they might take the wrong um, lesson in relation to the few progressive things that they did do. So, um, you know, that they uh, were looking at reigning in, in some fashion, negative gearing, um, and, and they were reigning in some of the franking rot. Like, those, the few progressive things that they do, they're like, but those were the things that the liberals and the right-wing media seized on because, of course, they bloody mm. And that's what... That's what killed us. Um, and look, we tried it. We failed. Um, let's ignore the fact that our review points out that maybe we just did a shit job of selling them. Um, or maybe, and let's ignore the idea that maybe part of the reason why we had difficulty selling them is because it's totally inconsistent with the rest of the stuff that we do. Let's just abandon them completely and become a pale imitation of the libs in, in even those areas. Mm. There was a good thread that Mark Newton put up on Twitter um, pointing out, uh, so this was when he was responding to Anthony Albanese doing a tweet being like, you know, we, we're living in a democracy, it's, you've got a right to speak up, like at the same time as Labor governments were cracking down on climate protesters. But Newton's point was, look, Labor, this, emblem, said, this is emblematic of Labor's inability to advocate for anything good because they've abandoned any semblance of moral authority on mm. basically every serious issue. So you can't advocate for freedom of protest because Labor states are busy sabotaging it. You can't advocate, for, you can't say anything about wage growth because you've created the Fair Work Act, which eviscerated workers' rights to 
unionize and stand up for themselves. Can't complain about cuts to social services because you've spent 15 years talking about the importance of surpluses. You can't talk about anything about climate change because you're busy supporting Adani. You can't support civil liberties because you spent all this time building up the surveillance state in the first place. You can't do anything about refugee welfare apart from the, all the footage of Albo throwing yeah. ref- stabbing refugees in the back. But you've got, like, you set up the bloody concentration camps that they're using. Um, like, pretty much everything that, that Labor should be standing on it's already inconsistent with everything else they've done. And it's emblematic of trying to be a big party and having it both ways, that you can't argue for one side effectively. Um, and I suppose that's their attack on the Greens, that, that, that the Greens are, you know, too pure and not, they don't compromise enough. But the Greens compromise, you just compromise as long as it's a step forward, whereas Labor will compromise backwards. And I, I feel like that's true, and I feel like that's one of the reasons why, basically, the, the, um, you know, after the last election, we, we did a, we were, we were hoping that Labor would turn around after Shorten and be like, right, no, this is we, mm. we, we were not consistently progressive enough, and we didn't um, add, sell these things well, and we're going to, you know, we got close. It was only a one seat win, but we're going to um, double, you know, work harder and selling, persuading to people why the lies they heard about the franking credit policy, for example, are just that, they're lies, and why it's in their interests. Like, we'll do a better job of selling it. We failed to sell it, and we'll do a better job of selling. And instead of that, right after the election, they started. They voted for the giant tax cuts and cut $158 billion out of the mm. budget so they won't be able to promise services next time. And they, and at that point, we were just like, cool, well, we'll do a podcast now from the after the, they lose the next election, and that our hope for renewal now that Labor's realised that they really can't do that and they have to try rebuilding again in 2022. Because it's felt hopeless since then but i i guess the the thing that infuriates me about it is that it's not it shouldn't be that hard Mm. their job they the media aren't friendly to them i agree it's a a conservative media and dale can i run a thing past you that seems like to me a really obvious way for progressive parties to run but for some reason the alp absolutely refuses to um and they are in the one position where if they did this messaging because the media still think of it as a two-party system. They can't just ignore Labor. If Labor has a message and they keep hammering it, and this is the message, message hammer, 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 and they stick to it, the media's going to have to report it because they can't just ignore Labor. They can get away with ignoring the Greens because people filter the Greens out. But they, the media can't ignore Labor if, as long as they have won this. So Labor could do this. Yeah. And it feels to me like... So you have, have you... You know, have you I've chatted with you before about like the idea of the ratchet? So the way the libs run it, the, the libs do the ratchet where if there's money, tax cuts. If there's when there's no money, service cuts. Ratchet always in that direction. So it's always like if you know we, we cut services and then we've got money and then we give it to the rich with tax cuts. Then we run it. We give so much to the rich that we don't have the money. Then we cut services and it's always a justification for the next bit. And the ratchet always goes that way. But there's no reason why the ratchet couldn't do the reverse, and there's no reason why Labor couldn't respond. So when they do, when the libs do a um, Offer a tax cut, so that's the positive. the the selling the, the thing that's appealing to people, more money in my pocket. So that's spending cuts on the progress. Sorry, spending of on services on the progressive side, tax cuts on the conservative side. So every time the conservatives offer a tax cut, which is the giving money away, the progressive side, the ALP could be standing up, and that's when they announce dental for Medi- Medicare, dental under Medicare, or like have a list, a set of policies that you want to announce that cost money. Mm, yeah, and the reason why their dangerous things to generally propose is because they get it gets turned around like we can't afford it you know where's that you're you're economically irresponsible when you announce a spending policy Mm. but if you announce it when they're talking about tax cuts 
that attack is blunted. Yeah. Because they're giving that money away. It's no. just they're giving the money to the rich. You're providing something that everybody should be able to, you should be able to sell as to why we, we should all want dental on Medicare. We should all want decent social security. So you should, they should have these spending things ready to go so that whenever the Libs are offering a tax cut, it's obvious to people that it's at the expense of this good thing that you could have. And vice versa. And have a specific thing, like a big thing that changes the conversation, but you've already neutered their attack that you can't afford it because they've literally got, they want to give away $158 billion. Yeah. So our thing is cheaper than that. You can, and you can, that money for other things and you can have dental and Medicare, that sort of thing. And in reverse, when the libs turn around and they're being like, look, we're, in, we're responsible yeah. economic managers, there's not enough money, so we're going to have to cut some services. That's when you turn around and say, no, you don't have to. You don't have to starve the poor. You don't have to um, do these horrible, cruel things. What you can do instead is cut back this franking credit rule that's $6 billion a year or, cut, or, or um, slow down the negative gearing um, thing that's yeah. destroying housing. That's the point at which you announce taxes. You don't do it like the Labor Party did, which is like, this is innately a fun thing that we're going to take money from the rich. That doesn't appeal to people because people think if you're taking money from them, yeah. you might try and take it from me. But people do buy it if you turn around and say it as, no, no, they're going to do something cruel and hurt people. Instead of that, this is a better way. This is, a, this, is, this is getting money from somebody in the public, but it's better than this crueler version. Like, yeah. And it blunts their attack on you're hurting people because you can turn around and be like, you're hurting more people. Yeah. So a counterpoint going rather than spending money here by giving tax cuts, you could spend money here by making you know, public services available. Anyway, that, that's what I think that they should be doing. And it, feels like it, it feels like it shouldn't be impossible, Dale. Like, does that, as a pitch, as a way of running the argument at elections, like just sticking to that message? Yeah. I feel like that seems, yeah, pretty, a pretty good way to, to message things. And I think what, you know, part of their, the review did say that they had so many policies and when they were costed, it was like, well, we need to get the money from somewhere. Um, so therefore we need all these taxes, which, you know, make people unhappy because as you said like people think well that's my money and and people are going to take that away rather than it being a rather than doing a tax cut here let's give this awesome thing over there um i i feel like labor's messaging was just really off and i'm not sure that appealing to the big end of town and not you know being divisive and not therefore not in my mind being as progressive as what they could be is the answer, but I feel like that's probably what they they're going to take from this. It feels like it shouldn't be that hard to do. Uh, like if because it's not like the libs costed their policies. Like where did, where are they getting the money for 158 billion dollars of tax cuts? Like all Labor has to say is, well, we just won't do that. So that's how we're funding it. Not not that we're introducing new taxes. We're just not doing their tax cuts. No, and the idea of costed policies and everything needing to balance like it's not a household budget that we're working with, and I think that that because that the, you know the general public is really confused about how the federal budget works, and, and they're big numbers, and that's scary to people that we could be spending big numbers um, on certain things. But there's a lot of secrecy of some of the big numbers that we spend on military or submarines or, you know, other bits and pieces that don't get talked about during elections by either side. And yet it seems like we're, you know, squibbling over something like raising Newstart, for example, because we don't have the, we don't have the money for it. When, you know, nobody in the general public really understands the Australian budget and nor should we because I guess 
we need to just make sure that a government is doing its job, which is making sure that the members of society are looked after. And if members of society are looked after, then you know, happy days. And I just feel that well, you have to they have to balance like you have to fund it somehow. And I know it's not like money in money out because it's the way that a government produces money and deals with these is it's much fuzzier than that. But you, I mean, you obviously have to do some kind of balancing, otherwise. That otherwise you have other economic consequences which are which are quite grim but but you can do that like you just don't give away giant tax cuts to the rich you don't you like there's ways of bringing it back in that, that progressives can do like oh hell you know where they whinge about our tax, tax like in the 80s this time that you know they they, they hearken back to the even even the labor even the liberals now talk about the great 1980s tax tax rates were much higher in the 1980s than they are now and weirdly, society functioned. Yeah, I guess I just look like you look at some of the Scandinavian countries that have quite progressive um, things like parental leave or um, healthcare or um, you know schooling and, and tertiary education and etc. Like generally, that comes from higher taxes. But if you are taxed yeah. higher, yet you have the things that you need to have from your government, then that's a benefit. That's a benefit for people. Yeah. Well, as as we were saying with Newstart, like it feels like Labor should be able to sell to people that social security isn't a thing they give to bludgers. It's a thing that they benefit. It's insurance for them. It feels like a thing that Labor should be able to sell. It almost feels like you know you know how they the Australian Christian lobby just had their conference and their their pitch was the not ashamed conference. That's right. And I was going to say, <laughs> I reckon that Labor needs to take one leaf out of that conference, and it's not endorsing their hideous bigotry and yeah the fact that that albo still hasn't met with lgbti leaders but he's happy to meet with the religious fundamentalists uh the fact that he still hasn't come out against this hideous pitch for religious privilege anyway that's all another huge problem with modern labor but um it feels can i suggest this what if labor were to take the approach of not being ashamed of progressive ideas so that they could turn out and say yeah of course we support new start because it's a thing that protects workers of course we protect um, unions because they're a thing that protects workers. Like, why they can't stand up and be like, yeah, sure, the right-wing media will scream about it because they don't like any of these things. But that doesn't mean that, that Australians don't appreciate the value of it. It doesn't mean that you, you, you know, punter reading the Daily Telegraph can't see the sense in there being a safety net that protects you. Like, I don't... Maybe Labor... Maybe a huge part of the problem is that Labor is ashamed of the progressive things. It's so... It's, it's like... It's almost like the ABC. It's been browbeaten by the right wing so much that it's just like, don't want to have the argument anymore. What if we just agreed with you? Yeah. I mean, and I guess it must be hard um, to be continuously beaten up in the media, regardless of what you do, regardless if you're progressive or if you're centre or if you're, you know, trying to be LNP light. You know, they, they can't win. And I think maybe just realising that they can't win and just pushing forward anyway and going, yep, yeah, we actually know that because of the Murdoch media, we're not going to get a fair go in the media for whatever we do or say. But we're still going to push forward because it's the right thing to do, because it's the right thing for, to do for society, for people. And we want people to know that we represent them and their best interests. And we don't give a shit about what the, what the media says about us. And I feel like, you know, if... There was a little bit more boldness within hmm. the Labor Party. But, you know, you've got the different factions um, that have, you know, different levels of power. You know, they're trying to um, a- appeal to so many people and different ideas internally. 
um, where there's not a lot of unity with some of their policies, let alone externally. You know, Which, I don't know yeah. why anybody votes for the ALP. Like you don't, when you vote for an ALP member, say you're in Victoria and you're in Maribyrnong and you vote for Jed Kearney, you're not going to get a lefty in Parliament because she can't vote lefty. Mm. And the same if you're a right wing Labor supporter, you don't know that they won't vote against. You know, they won't vote for you know some kind of. Oh my god, yeah, that's the one other thing from the review. This idea that they should abandon identity politics being code for looking after LGBTI people. Mm. That's that's horrifying. Like. Oh, did you alienate a, a blue collar bigot in the in the outer suburbs? Is their line like they, they, there's somebody there's some people out there who are doing it tough and they don't like us being nice to uh, or caring about the concerns of other marginalised people. Mm. And like maybe you maybe they would if you argued it to them as to why it's to their benefit and why it's decent and that that's not like either or. We can both be compassionate to marginalised people who are marginalised for their um, sexuality or gender identity, or, or in the same ways we can be have empathy for people who are being marginalised by the insecurity of their work in a legacy industry. Mm. Like, it doesn't have to be either or. Like, the Labor Party could stand for both and doesn't have to be, like, part of the what the Conservatives do, which is play those groups off against each other. We could recognise that you're all being screwed by the people at the top. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they're going for votes that aren't there for them, that will never be there, yeah. and they're actually alienating their base in the process. And that's the worrying thing is that, they are going for the people who are disenfranchised with traditional politics and they're disenfranchised by the two major parties. They vote for smaller parties um, and, you know, like the Fraser Annings and the Family Firsts and the One Nations and, you know, because there are bits and pieces of their policy that, that speak to them in various ways. And instead of going, well, you know, that person who thinks that Labor is too worried about identity politics um, is going to vote for us if we stop being worried about identity politics. They're not. They're not going to vote for Labor. They may change their vote from Fraser Annings back to the LNP, but it's never even going... Labor's not going to get a look in. So they're, they're looking for votes that aren't even there. But is that, is that right? I, I reckon that Labor can get, though, like the blue-collar workers who are being screwed. Mm. Labor should be able to win them back. That that One Nation Fraser Anning pitch. But you don't do it by repeating the One Nation Fraser Anning lines of trying to find other people to blame. You direct the blame upwards where it's supposed to be. You say, yeah. look, those people are selling... You are We, the Labor Party, definitely can see that you're being screwed. We hear that you're being screwed. But you're not being screwed by that guy over there. You're being screwed by this yeah, corporation. Yeah, the fact that other people are being screwed. Yeah, they're not screwing you. They're being screwed in a different way. You're all being screwed. Why don't we, instead of fighting against you know all the other people being screwed while the people at the top who are doing the screwing are looking down and going, Yeah, <laughs> suckers. How about instead of that, we unite, we, you know, surely... It worked in the past. Union that the whole point of unions uniting together. Mm. <laughs> you know, unite against the common enemy, the Julian people. No, the um you know what I mean? Like they should be able to do and Labour should be able to do that without going without being like, in order to protect you, we need to sacrifice these other people. They should be able to turn around and say, No, no, we stand it up for the marginalised and you're marginalised in a work sense, they're marginalised in a in a social sense, and we we will stand up for both of you and you can know that we're not gonna you know, it's not like when we're supporting LGBTI people that we're going, suddenly we don't care about unions, we don't care about workers, we can care about them and you, in the same way as that you can hear that when we we, we um, are defending you, that we don't need to sacrifice LGBTI people to do it. Like, we can, don't, don't expect us to throw them under the bus, but do expect mm. us to fight for you. We can do both. Like, surely that's a thing Labor can argue, and maybe they need to be down on the ground in those in those places making that point. But again, not being ashamed to say, 
Yeah. Of course we support LGBTI people. There'll be LGBTI people in this audience. LGBTI people are workers too. They're, like, we don't need to sacrifice no. them. That doesn't help you. Do, say, say for the sake of argument, you, you don't know any LGBTI people, um, and it doesn't, then it doesn't affect you. We, we support them mm. having equality before the law whilst we fight for you. And hell, if you're both voting for us, their votes help us get the things that you need and your votes help us get the things that they need mm. and everybody wins, except for the bastards at the top who are screwing you. Yeah, but the idea of like pandering to particular people while leaving other people behind and that's always going to be marginalised, vulnerable, disadvantaged people is not... That's what I'm saying, they shouldn't do that. They don't need, they don't need to do it. They got, why, why they think they need to be ashamed of their support for gay people when they're arguing for workers' rights? Why? Like they're not inconsistent. They're not. They're no. not at odds. They shouldn't be at odds. Doesn't make any sense for them to be at odds. Yeah, okay. I, I believe that was also okay, boomer. I'm not a boomer, darling. I'm only in my forties, my early forties. I'm not a boomer. My favorite okay boomer count. moment was the New Zealand Greens MP Chloe Swarbrick, yeah. um, who did her speech, um, and that's you know gone viral everywhere, where she's talking about the importance of action on climate change and that the average age of People in you know New Zealand Parliament is their Parliament fifty or something, yeah. and that in twenty fifty she'll be fifty six, and what will the world look like then? And you know, getting sort of um, heckled from the floor, and her really quick okay boomer. I was like, ah, oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> she is, and and you know, like I see the way that, like, not saying that um, New Zealand is perfect. There are certainly. There are good things and bad things about the way that any other country does politics, but the things what, that what, are... what John Key did was pretty horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, have you seen? Have you seen um, the? You know who Lindsay Ellis is? No. She's sort of a, a pop culture critic sort of person on YouTube, but she did a series on what happened with the Hobbit films, and it, the it's sort of start, it's supposed to be just sort of a two part to start with, and she's talking, but then it sort of breaks into what the hell happened with New Zealand, where the Conservative government basically threw out used used Warner Brothers. Um, threatening to walk away from New Zealand mm. as an opportunity to completely sabotage and destroy workers' rights um, in New Zealand, and yeah, it's quite chilling what they got away with, and it's just and it's still there. Like those Hobbit movies really screwed workers in New Zealand. <laughs> there ends up being an extra part to it, which she wasn't going to do originally when she discovered how that how New Zealand had been f by. Wow. But yeah, it's yeah. So there's it's like we look look at New Zealand because of Jacinda Ardern, and we're like, oh, look, there's there's hope for us. It's like yeah. <laughs> There's some things that are left there as well. Well, exactly. But, you know, you, you do look at what two years of, uh, you know, a progressive leader can actually do in a parliament and what impact that can have and real change that can have for things. Um, and, I mean, the way that their parliamentary system works is very different because it is very representative um, based on percentages of votes that parties get. And so you do sort of have very much um, a diversity of voices within their parliament from different parties. And I think that's got to be a good thing because you don't have one party that holds all of that that power um, and you have to work with a variety of different, you know, policy ideas and views to be able to get policy through. Yeah, imagine if we had multi-member electorates here and the Greens actually, you know, as a result of... When you vote for the Greens, you would definitely get a Green... You know, it, Greens representation. It wouldn't be like the, what, one and a half million of us with one federal MP. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, you know, in Queensland, we've got um, got 10% of the, the vote in the 2017 election um, across Queensland. We've got one MP. Um, the Catter Party got 2.8% or something... 
two three percent of the vote, they've got three MPs. Yeah, it's just broken. Um, so you know you've got you've got power dynamics that are happening within politics that aren't really representative of what people are voting for. So it's that yeah, said, democracy. That said, it is. It keeps getting better, like it is growing. So at least, at least I guess in terms of where, where, where can we hope that things go, at least people are voting for the Greens. At least there is an increased, I, like the Extinction Rebellion protests are like they, they may not, they they may be pissing off the the people who are hostile to that, but they are also keeping those issues alive. Where yeah. otherwise the big parties would just happily bury them. Mm. So I guess it's. Look, it's hard to be optimistic. I was chatting with somebody about being, uh, being uh, a potential guest on the podcast. <laughs> like, how do you keep talking about Australian politics? It's so depressing. You're like, well, <sighs> I mean, we're all part of it. We're all seeing that it's happening. Mm. And, like, I guess there's this, there's a space, spaces to vent and also spaces to be like, like, it feel the thing that like, the, the Labour reviews, the, the, the thing that's frustrating about it is that it feels like there is stuff they could do. It's hard. Because you're mm. fighting for something, but like as we said in the podcast, oh, like, it's not like when they did, when they when the media and the power structures were against them when they were formed, they just went, oh well, I suppose you just give up and don't bother anymore. Like mm. you can do it, but when the Conservatives lost in two thousand and seven to Kevin Rudd, they didn't turn around and be like, well, clearly our uh, massive tax cuts where we destroyed the revenue system, you know in Australia, um, clearly those were a problem. We should re- recount those. The Conservatives lose and they don't. Recant being conservative. No, Labor Labor needs to double down. It'd be like, okay, we fought. Maybe we could have fought harder. We could have fought better. Here are some ways that yeah. we could have fought better. Um, and I would have suggested, in terms of their policy platform, yeah, if you, were, you the the main problem is the ways in which you weren't progressive, sabotaging the ways in which you were progressive. It's not so much that you were too progressive in any on any of those areas. Like those are clearly things that are indefensible mm. that need to be reined in. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, God, how much of the population now is stuck with? Um, the insecurity of renting mm. and the complete lack of renters' rights. Now, that's a state issue mainly, but there's no reason why um, federal labour couldn't be campaigning on on better av- avenues to protect renters as well. Yeah. And and even state the state labour governments that are doing it are still doing it in a half-assed way. There's, mm. like, there's, anyway, I, I don't want to go down a rant that I've had many times, but mm. there, like, there are lots of ways for a progressive party to persuade people to vote for it, and I don't know why labour is so determined to see us as being like owned by it and it doesn't have to do anything to earn our votes or fight for it. Like the idea that they've got these seats in parliament and don't want, have you seen all the Labour people on Twitter who complain that they get talked about? They're like, oh, this interview was like, oh, Labour, Labour, Labour when they were talking to the the Conservatives and they were, or when they were talking with a Labour person, they're like constantly wanting to ask them about policy and stuff and we feel really attacked. You're like, why are you in politics if you don't want this is literally like, your job. Read the job description. <laughs> it's a plus. If they're talking to you, then you're getting listened to. to. Yeah. Like, God, the Greens would kill for that attention and opportunity to be, you know, argue the point. Yeah. What? Why? Why Labor's like we're we're still the main progressive party, but we really don't want to talk about anything. What is wrong with you? Because they're so worried that they'll say the wrong thing and then have to <laughs> go backwards. Why they can't look at the Conservatives and be like the Conservatives aren't? They say all sorts yeah. of the wrong things all over the place. They're constantly having gaps and shit. And they just muddle on. Why Labour has to be, like, terrified of engaging in politics, the thing that they say That's they're good at? Probably my favourite tweet about the Labour review was John Kadulka, um, the cartoonist, and he yeah. just tweeted something like, 
um, didn't mention the Labor review, but just says the review says that it's all because of the um, Greens voting against the CPRS in 2009. <laughs> yes. No, <laughs> I mean, that's, I like, that is really Yes. It. <laughs> because I have to say, you know, being, being involved with the Greens and, and being on Twitter and seeing, you know, some of the comment sections of things like, you know, there's not a lot of love lost between Labor and the Greens. Hates the Greens? Hang on. Uh, no, let, let's, let's ask uh, famed Labor supporter Van Batten. What, what does she think about the Greens? Like union members who are like, no, nah, they're going to take our jobs away. You know, those hip, like those hippies, they're in a coalition with the Greens, they're in a coalition with the Greens. I find this hilarious. I don't know anybody who hates the Greens as much as anybody in the Labor Party. Well, I'm shocked that Van would, would say something <laughs> like that about about the Greens um, and, and Labor. So, you know, colour me surprised. Isn't that one of the problems? Like, Labor is not just ashamed of doing any progressive policies. They're ashamed of ever being portrayed as working with the Greens. It's like they think the Greens have, like, some kind of cooties. It's like, we can't work with them. But I, I really feel like that holds them back quite a lot because that holds them back from being progressive. It holds them back from having a strong stance on something like Adani or climate change or, you know, any sort of environmental issues because they're so worried about being tied to the Greens because they see that being, uh, you know, a terrible thing rather than sort of wanting to own some of that progressiveness and rather than actually working in government with Greens in a much better way. And, you know, we see that happening in a you know around the world with different greens parties in politics um working with you know progressive left labor type movements um in a way that actually gets shit done and i feel like there's just so many people that are so violently opposed to even having a reasonable conversation about what you know how to work better together um, on both sides that, you know, we're kind of stuck in this in this weirdness and, and you know, it's certainly not helping Labor. Except the Greens are willing to work with Labor. Like, the Greens, when they get pissed off with Labor, it's because you did a bunch of right-wing things. Like, that's what yeah. they get cross with. Absolutely. Whereas Labor is crossed with the Greens for existing and fighting with them because they want to do more progressive things. And, like, I, I don't understand why Labor can't just simply go, from their perspective, look, we're happy to work with the Greens on progressive stuff. Yeah. We don't agree with them on all their stuff. Like, it feels like from the Labor electoral point of view, they could marginalise the Greens a lot better by saying, we'll work on them, we'll work on this, on some of their stuff. And they, and when they go too far left, yeah. we, we'll draw the line. Like, we're not the same as them, but we'll work with them on that stuff. Yeah. Like, I feel like they would win back a lot more progressive voters and, in fact, undermine the Greens a lot if they took that approach. Yeah. Like, from their own war with the Greens point of view, they would be much better to be like, of course we'll work with the Greens. Yeah. We're a compromise party. We're, we're the party that's practical and willing to work, whereas they're extremists who won't compromise, which is a lie, but they could get away with that line. And I don't... Like, it's so self-defeating to... It's not like the Libs turn around... Just, seriously, so much the Labour Party could do better just by watching what the Libs get away with. Yeah. And doing the same thing in reverse. Like, the, it's not like the Libs are terrified of one nation and doing stuff that one nation voters might like. No. When they're tired with being like One Nation, the Libs are just like, no, we're not. But they but they want the One Nation voters to be like, yeah, okay, they're on, they've heard us. Yeah, and they will do things to get One Nation on board, whereas... Whereas yeah, Labor's like, I mean, like, no. The Greens are never going to stop calling out, like, the shittiness of Labor backflipping on, you know, things, especially when it comes to refugee asylum seekers 
yeah. um, climate change, like all the things that are important, any sort of social change, um, you know, not being strong enough on things like New Start, um, Indigenous issues, etc. Like the list goes on, like same-sex marriage, like being really lax on that for such a long time. Um, so, yeah. yeah, like we're absolutely still going to be calling them out for that, but they're the reticence to for, for Labor to be, I don't know, associated in any way um, does make them... Whilst wanting progressive yeah. votes. <laughs> like, they're like, we don't, we don't dare say we're progressive. Progressives, please, please vote Yeah, for us. please vote for us. We don't really have progressive policies and we're not going to, you know, get any more progressive, um, especially if we keep losing. So, <laughs> but vote for us because... I mean, they, they, I think they feel entitled. There's an entitlement to votes. They feel like it's not fair. And I feel like it's a little bit of a tantrum happening um, where they're like, it's not... And that's why I think they hate the Greens so much. Like, it's not fair that people are voting for the Greens instead of us because we are progressive and they should just vote for us regardless of what we do. Like, there's no responsibility for um, the some of the really problematic things that they've done but they just feel entitled to progressive votes. Well, they resent, I think, the individual people too, like the lefties who are in Labor, are the ones who sold out. They basically were like, well, at least I'll get power this way. Yeah. At least I'll, I'll get in, I'll sell out, I'll get the power, and then I can do something good. And then they're in the, a, a machine that stops them doing anything progressive that's constantly forcing them to do right-wing shit. Like the Labor Party is a machine basically for getting left-wing people and forcing them to vote along with right-wing people. Mm. Just, um, <clears throat> and I feel they, I think they're resentful about it. And then they're, more infuriated when the Greens get votes that they think... Like, that was the only reason they joined the ALP in the first place. And they're also resentful at the idea that the Greens... This whole purity line, the Greens are they all pure and, and pure, and they don't compromise. Because they didn't sell out. The people mm. who stayed in the Greens are like, we didn't need to vote for right-wing shit. We maintained a principle. Like, And they, they, they try and conflate that and be like, well, they won't negotiate on anything. But they don't. Like, I mean, the Greens people negotiate all the time. We're happy to negotiate. Greens would negotiate with Labour on, on stuff. They just don't vote for things that are worse than the status quo yeah yeah absolutely and it's always oh don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and it's like well if what you're calling the good is actually really bad. quite bad <laughs> then you know that's not how this works we actually don't have to compromise and give you know give this much if we can hold out to to get something better in the long run um or to to be true to our base as well yeah, no, uh, to be true to their base, because I think that that is where Labor really has a lot of problems as well, is people are disappointed that they're not actually standing for what the party says that they are all about. And so you've got people who feel really disappointed with their own party and they're deflecting to the Greens. And I guess the Greens are pretty strong on this is what we stand for, here's our policy positions. And then, you know, members would absolutely let them have it in a pretty big way if the you know federal mps went against what the party party policy was all about they wouldn't be able to get away with it hell yeah and and they they know they've got very mobile members who've been like like a lot of members of the greens have gone from labor yeah, to democrats yeah. the greens for example and like if the greens suddenly became right wing they were like I'll help with you. I'm not. I don't give a damn about a party per se. I damn about give yeah. a damn about the policy positions. So yeah, while you're the progressive part, if, if you stop doing that, then see you later. <laughs> off we go. Yeah, I don't care about the structure. I care about what's actually being put up and voted on and what my representatives are voting for mm. in parliament. 
yeah, there's far more rustedons um, in you know Labor and the LNP. I feel like yeah. where it doesn't matter what they do, that they will just always be rustedons. Yeah, which is not really a doesn't really help the ALP adapt. Makes it kind of a, a stultified um, mm. structure that that can't. And and they think of themselves as being realists that they are moving with the times. Because they are. They're moving politically with the right-wing times as it gets more and more right-wing. Which is horrifying. Yeah. They're not moving with the reality of the environment in which they are operating in terms of what's outside the window or what... Because mm. there's there's both what Scott Morrison thinks of as the, the important environment being the economy, but also the natural environment. Both of those are going very badly under right-wing policies. And mm. people are being screwed economically, and they're being, and the rest of us, and we're all being screwed environmentally. And it feels like there is an obvious approach for Labor to take, but they're not. They they just want to. I don't know. I don't know why they. Maybe more than the conservatives, they just feel browbeaten from from the very beginning because they've when they were lefties, they were browbeaten for being for betraying lefties and joining <laughs> the ALB. They're browbeaten by the media. They're browbeaten. Maybe they just feel like they're always being shouted at. <laughs> they just want a quiet life. Just, well, um, politics is not a quiet life. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we've we've uh, we've put through put some tiny children through a very long we podcast. Have. So it's probably the part the time to. Have you still wind not want to sleep? But, I do, so I'm going to go and wake her up. She's I done know, epic sleep is... through this epic podcast. <laughs> I think we've done well, and um, this just proves, but... you know, that um, all parents can, you know, we can do it all, right? We can do it all. Oh, look, I, I can even be, uh, be be looking at my mobile phone, and the baby very rarely falls out of the pram and gets forgotten. <laughs> exactly. Oh, anyway, all right. So, Dale, uh, where can people find you for the, if they want to follow your things and, and see what you're saying and such? You can find me on Twitter at Dale Kelleher. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in the world in my spelling, so, um, you know, that's cool. So, yeah, if you look hard enough, you'll find me. Right, and people can find us on at Well May We Say. Please do feel free to discuss with us anything that you feel like in relation to the episode on at, uh, tweeting us at Well May We Say. The, the com- having an actual conversation is a lovely follow-up to recording a podcast and the probably three days that I'm going to have to spend editing this together now. Um... <laughs> Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. You're how the, the podcast keeps going. Fun things like the uh, equipment and the hosting. Uh, and thank you to Robin and Ray for the music and Alex Sun for the artwork and everybody who's left a positive review on iTunes. So thank you to all of you and we will see you all uh, next week. Bye. Bye everyone from me and Juniper.